Dateline Hollywood. Five <laughs> pair from the from the beautiful Chinese Man Theater. No, John, it's the Dolby Theater. Oh, right, the Dolby Theater. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I'm already asleep. <laughs> no, John, we live on the West Coast. All right, there's no excuse to not be up after 9 p.m. when the when the Oscars finally end. Um, long time, but listeners. the Oscars are the greatest quaalude possible. Come on. <laughs> well. I, you, you made the point yourself. The show is so much more interesting when something goes wrong. Absolutely. Uh, long-time listeners, if we have any. Uh, we'll note last year we actually recorded a podcast before the Oscar ceremony, assuming mm. it would just be another, you know, routine show. Yawn. And boy, were we wrong. We, we were sure not to make that mistake again. No. And what happened this time? Yawn. Absolutely nothing. So, Damn. yes, I, as I astutely noted, noted in a tweet... This show is far more interesting when something goes completely off the rails. So I think they should bake that into every episode, every every episode, every show from now on. <laughs> every weekly Oscars award ceremony. Yeah. But again, nothing. As I as I said last night, nothing matters. Roger Deakins finally has his Oscar. That's what that's yes. what matters. So everybody, <laughs> congratulations, gang. We did it. Our four year consideration campaign worked. <laughs> the tastemakers, the aspiring yes. snobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've been ruminating on this. Like, the Oscars is really a show for nobody. <laughs> no, well, it's a show for a very select uh, 3,300 people or so. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the ratings are out. And again, like, it's on a steep decline every yeah. year. Well, it's, and, so is all of television, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, again, it's a show for nobody because half the, you know, the average moving-going audience hasn't heard of any of these movies. And any true movie snob thinks all these movies are beneath them. Yeah. Because they pick the most middle-brow, center-of-the-road movies to celebrate, so no one cares. Yeah, pleasing nobody. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have a ceremony that perfectly reflects that. It's like, oh, glitz and glamour, and yeah. oh, montages, and in memoriam, and then and then lame jokes, and that's it. Lame jokes. Although I thought the, the jet ski thing was pretty inspired. Yeah, like <laughs> the jet ski was good, but yeah, it's the same like montages. Mm-hmm. Again, all the acting categories go exactly the same. <laughs> Thing, one thing, it would year. be interesting if there were fewer award shows before then, so mm-hmm. it was a little more unpredictable. Yeah. So, but like maybe if maybe if the Oscars were first, <laughs> then it's like there wouldn't be like quote unquote front runners. That that's a great idea, John. You know what else? You know what also is a great idea, and hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, based on the ratings numbers, they decide to do this. Don't make mm-hmm. it a pain in the ass to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Also because, true. yeah, you and I, like uh, millions of other Americans, have cut cut, cut the cord, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they decided, no, we don't we don't want people to watch. So it was a pain in the ass to try to get a live stream for the show. I had to resort to Facebook Live and some uh, some god awful ABC broadcast. Um, although Adman Burke was a, who's a who's a college football analyst. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> How is it possible in America that the Super Bowl is easier to stream than the Oscars? <laughs> Come on, exactly. Well, because the Oscars is exclusive, John. Oh, okay. Ooh, it's a prestigious Again, this, event. Is, this is not a party for everybody. Again, a <laughs> no. very select, maybe about 3,000 people. 3, but they, they bring them people, they bring in the poor plebs from middle America on a busload, <laughs> or they come and visit them from their, oh, in their movie yeah. theaters. Oh, so no more of those interminable gags where like, <laughs> hey, let's bring in the Hollywood tour that goes on for 80 minutes. <laughs> let's prank the little people. <laughs> I will say, the one thing I did take from last night's show was mm-hmm. like finally like a call to action like finally like we don't have to talk about pie in the sky about like uh inclusivity and intersectionality <laughs> uh, intersectionality like uh, francis mcdormand said two words <laughs> inclusion rider 
Yes. And she's, Can we just put all the pithy things in two words? That yes. Makes put it well, <laughs> pithy things in two words and into actual like action. In this case, an actual contract stipulation. Mm. So I'll I, again, I give her all the credit in the world, not only for being uh, one of the most wonderful women women in the entire planet, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, but excuse me, she's married to a Conan brother, and I don't remember any people of color in any of their movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they come on, John. They grew up in Minnesota. I mean. <laughs> I gotta say, well, since they set where they set their movies, they can actually get away with that that inclusion writer because it's supposed to reflect the demographic of where the movie is set. Yeah. So with the case of Fargo, they can get away with it with well, no, no brothers like, being in that show. That uh, exactly. Well, no, and the other thing too is uh, Jordan Peele won last night for Get Out, and the whole point of Get Out is the fact that he is the only black man in the cast. Yeah, he is alone. He is isolated. <laughs> so if they did do an inclusion writer, it really wouldn't work. Well, not the only black cast member to give. give well, no, I mean, stand, yeah, yeah. Of course, obviously, there's other brainwashed black people in the movie, <laughs> and also his buddy sidekick. But you know, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I, yes, I understand. Get Out, fine movie. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk, I, I don't like anything. I know. I I was heartily disappointed <laughs> that the post didn't win. <laughs> Come on, That's don't you true. care about journalism? <laughs> Lady Bird didn't win anything either. I know. What well. a betrayal. <laughs> well, who would you rather have seen win that best original screenplay category, Greta Gerwig or Jordan Peele? I mean, I wanted it to go to Camille Nanjiani <laughs> and Emily B. Gordon. <laughs> That's true. I mean, that's my personal pick. Yeah. But... I don't know. Yeah, I. Maybe would have liked to see Greta Gerwig because it's personal, I guess. It's autobiographical, you know, that kind of movie. So, Well, technically all of them were autobiographical. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Has, Most of them. Has Jordan Peele gone to the sunken place? I don't know. <laughs> has, well, he, I mean, has, he slaughtered, has he slaughtered uh, dozens of white, old white people in... Uh, not that you we know, know of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's based on his experience being like the only black guy in the room, and you oh, know how so. uncomfortable that can be. Okay. You know, people trying to be cool, trying to be woke. I know. <laughs> yeah. But then he's using his imagination and and genre filmmaking. <laughs> of <laughs> well, we gave that to Shape of Water. That's what Shape of Water is for. It pretty much, yeah. <laughs> More agreeable too. <laughs> yes, the they, fish fucking movie. That's, yes, that's <laughs> more agreeable. All right, John. He's an amphibian, clearly. <laughs> should be the frog the frog bang movie <laughs> i i i think there's one huge disservice that uh that movie's doing yeah and i think it's giving credence to the furry community oh and the wonderful that... um uh our uh, stuff that they produce <laughs> it's this year's zootopia all yeah, over again exactly i think i think it's that'll have a negative effect they should pursue real human stories rather than their Weird anthropomorphized uh, worlds or imagination. I'll have you know, Greg, my fursona is a salamander, okay? <laughs> so it really spoke to me on a lot of levels, okay? How did that... It, salamanders don't have fur. <laughs> Shut up! It could be whatever I want. It's I know, my yes, dream. It's a very, yes, it's a very inclusive community. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if anything, I, actually, why don't they use their more imagination? It's an imaginary, you know, persona. <laughs> why yeah. not just go wild? <laughs> Why is it all foxes and wolves? Come I know. On. Why? Not, why can't I have like wings and like eight arms or something? You know, just go nuts. Is this? And look what the inclusion writer is going to give us. Now it's going to have to be a percentage of furries. So <laughs> look what you did, Hollywood. 
I laid at the feet of the AV Club, but, but the only reason I'm conscious of furries is because once a month they have a furry story. I don't know how or why. <laughs> Who on that staff cares? <laughs> probably an inclusion writer. That's it's, probably why. You're probably Every, right. The Onion stipulates every yeah. month we have to have one furry story. Yeah. That's kind of inclusive, but also a little condescending, a little judgmental, just a touch. <laughs> but, I mean, to be fair. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You're a bad person. I'm You're sorry. I'm person. sorry. Great if we have any furry listeners out there, I apologize. <laughs> they turned it off a long time ago. <laughs> anyway, John, let's get to the meat of our show. Yes. So, speaking of things that went completely wrong, <laughs> originally we had Heather's plan for this week, but then they uh, pushed that show back due to unforeseen circumstances. Yes. And I, I apologize. I had no idea it there was a, a shooting element into it, and we thought, you know, it wouldn't be sensitive to discuss that at this time. Yes. Um, so we decided to change up the schedule a little bit. So we decided this week we we're going to watch one of my personal favorite movies, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? What a dump. Hey, what's that from? What a dump. How would I know? Oh, come on. What's it from? You know. Martha. What's it from, for Christ's sake? What's what from? I just told you. I just did it. What a dump. Huh? What's that from? I have the faintest idea. Dumbbell. It's from some damn Betty Davis picture. Some goddamn Warner Brothers epic. Martha, I can't remember all the pictures that came out of Warner Brothers. Nobody's asking you to remember every goddamn Warner Brothers epic. Just one, just one single little epic. That's all. Betty Davis gets peritonitis at the end. And she wears this big black front wig all throughout the picture, and she's married to Joseph Cotton or something. Somebody. Somebody. And she wants to go to Chicago all the time because she's not that actor with the star. But she gets it. And she sits down in front of her dressing table. What actor? What scar? I can't remember his name for God's sake. What's the name of the picture? John, that was some lovely singing. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I'm glad, I do actually enjoy your taste in movies. I think it's great. Well, I mean, this one's this one's a little more personal. I have a story to this one. Okay. Well, I, 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 I look forward to that story. It's very elucidating. John, these are genuine compliments because I do not want to wind up like the married couple at the center of the story. <laughs> I guess we should go with the pl- uh, talk about the plot. The plot is yes, on a distant day. planet, very similar to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> the story centers around two couples: mm-hmm. one, Martha and George, an older couple. I mean, they're only in their forties, but they look like they're <laughs> pushing seventy. <laughs> yeah, um, played by Richard Burton and Liz Taylor. Liz Taylor was only thirty-three at the time they were filming, but she's supposed to play mm-hmm. a fifty-year-old. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they invite a younger couple, uh, Nick and Honey, over for a nightcap. They just came back from a party. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. And obviously, Martha being the more gregarious one, the more willing to talk to people, she invites them over for one last drink. Mm-hmm. And the, obviously, we see from the opening scene, George and Martha have a, have a bit of a contentious relationship. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> Putting it, to put it very, very lightly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've, although I do want to give the film some credit, this has been—it's been a very long time since I've seen this movie, mm-hmm. and you do see a kind of nice, sweet moment between them, where they are kind of like genuinely happy. 
Yes. And obviously, it falls apart almost immediately. Yes. But I think that's a very key element that a lot of people miss in movies like this, where they see people just constantly bickering and arguing. You have to have at least one moment. Lady Bird did this, for example. In the yeah. opening scene, we see the mother and the daughter kind of share a moment, and then obviously it evaporates almost immediately. Yeah, it's necessary to the story. Like, we have to believe that this couple at one point like loved each other. Mm-hmm. Same exactly. with Lady Bird. Or like, saw we have something to... in each other. Yeah. Same with Lady Bird. We have to see this family, like, you know, connect on some level. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't believe or be invested in the rest of the story. But John, exactly. explain your investment in the in the story. <laughs> so I actually watched this movie when I was in seventh grade. Interesting. Yeah. Do you mind explaining the circumstances around uh, that? This was for a literature class. Okay. So uh, our teacher was teaching literature, and obviously uh, he had a very interesting choice in books (laughs) so he decided uh we were gonna read the original play for who's afraid of virginia wolf this is based on a play Mm -hmm. and we were all very excited because it's a play it's a lot of less reading (laughs) it's just dialogue (laughs) and stage direction yeah um and and it's only a cast of four so only four students can have to participate at a time the others can you know (laughs) uh take a take a chill (laughs) of course and one of the best parts about literature class is usually they picked books that have been adapted into movies so Mm. you read the book first and then afterwards you could watch the movie to see how it's actually done just in case you obviously didn't do the complete assignment so absolutely that again Um, always a circumstance with shakespeare because when you're in seventh grade you can't understand a thing that's going on (laughs) um so and actually looking back on it i don't think he showed us the whole movie because it is rated r and it is actually the first movie I came to find out that had a little recommendation that no one allowed, an under 18 was allowed into the film. Yeah, that's kind of that. There was a ratings code before this, but that was the stipulation. Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, looking back on it, a very adult language, especially for the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And then also uh, very pointedly admits, to, you know, there is sex in it, which I did not remember. <laughs> From oh, my that's probably viewing. the scene that your teacher fast-forwarded through. That's probably true. So, But I remember watching maybe a truncated version in seventh grade, and I just, mm. and maybe it's because the teacher explained everything that was kind of going on. Like, that was the oh, whole yeah. point of the class and the whole point of studying this, is there was so many layers going on in the story that for a, you know, simple seventh grade mind such as myself, I was like, Really? There's more going on underneath the surface. And maybe that's why the movie and the story is so special to me. So okay. I'm a little biased, I will admit. <laughs> but <laughs> also, I was just so sophisticated and erudite, I... even at a young age, at a young teenage mind. This is true. Mm-hmm. I mean, you watched you watched the better animes among our friends group. <laughs> <laughs> Dragon Ball Z is so beneath me. I know. <laughs> Let me tell you about Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> <laughs> There's a jazz score. <laughs> I just hope the I just hope the internet really appreciates. We've talked about the furry community and anime thus far. I know <laughs> in our discussion of a 1966 right uh, classic <laughs> film, so directed by Mike Nichols. Yep. Um, but Greg, enough yeah. about me. Enough mm-hmm. about moi. Let's talk about you. That's perfect. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's the game. The, the game is afoot. What game shall we play now? Hmm? Yeah. Speaking of that game, so this movie kind of worked in. Again, I didn't have the the background that you did. I understand what mm-hmm. you're saying. Like. You know the films I watched and I watched you know in my film classes. Like now I have all this context and you know mm-hmm. seeing exactly what the movie's doing. This is my first time seeing it though, mm-hmm. and I gotta say this this story kind of works and like fits and starts for me. Yeah. Again, I made that joke about like it seems like a like it's taking place on another planet because there were at times where like I really did not understand the behavior of George and Martha. Mm-hmm. 
And so, like, there were some moments that pulled me in. Like you said, like, at the very beginning, she comes in and she's, like, complaining. Or, you know, they're, she's, they're kind of, like, uh, losing, losing their buzz. Yeah. So that I can understand, like, when they start snipping at each other. And then they have a nice romantic moment in bed. But then, like, yeah, inviting these this couple over at 2.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that you don't quite believe. And then... There's a there's a moment I guess we'll we'll get more detail, but the I will just say the ruby like kind of like ramps up to eleven and stays there, hmm. and that's where it kind of like really lost me. There's still like some good moments in there. I'm speaking in particular of scenes just between Richard Burton and George Siegel, who plays Nick, the younger guy who we find out is pretty ambitious and you know has has a personal interest in Martha. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very ambitious. He's hmm. like, what can I stick my dick in next? I to get <laughs> Exactly. So those kind of moments work for me, but it's it's the other half where they're playing this game and we'll reveal the nature of the game that George and Martha are playing, mm-hmm. where I'm just like, what? Like, what? What is going on here? And I think the other problem too is like, like you said, this is based on a play, mm-hmm. and you know, plays and movies are very different things. You know, th- yes. superficially they have actors and stories and things like that, but mm-hmm. the way you kind of act, you know, in a play is far different from a movie, which can, I think, has a closer resemblance to real life, and I think that's what I wanted. Mm. A little I bit. mean, you're absolutely so. One of the things I did not appreciate when I reviewing it now is just the terms of perspective. And you're right; the movie does kind of set you up into thinking that it's like, oh, okay, George and Martha are a bit haggard; they're a bit tired of each other, and it's not exactly a happy relationship. Mm-hmm. But you're right; it doesn't really prepare you for the level levels of of psychological damage that they're willing to do to each other. Do and, each, yeah. Oh, and again, this couple that they also kind of like rope into their little game. Yeah. And the other thing I didn't really appreciate until I reviewed it was like the movie's basically from George's perspective. He's in almost every scene. And, you know, characters kind of wander in and out, but he's always kind of pretty consistent until later in the movie we do get one scene uh, alone with Nick and Martha. Yeah. But it's mostly the George show. That's that's what I realized too, and I was slightly disappointed by because when we when the four characters aren't together and they do break off, mm-hmm. like we do almost exclusively see them from just, it, we're always with George pretty much the whole time. See, George exactly. and I had this boxing match a couple of years after we were married. <laughs> a boxing match? The two of you? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, the two of us, really. <laughs> I can't imagine it. Well, it wasn't in a ring or anything like that, you know. Oh. See, uh, Daddy was on this physical fitness kick. Uh-huh. So we had a couple of us over one Sunday, and, and we all went out in the back, and, and Daddy put the gloves on himself, uh, and he asked George to box with him. Uh, yeah. And George didn't want to. Yeah. So Daddy was saying, Come on, young man, what sort of a son-in-law are you? And stuff like that. <laughs> and while this was going on, I don't know why I did it, I got into a pair of gloves myself, oh. and I snuck up behind George, just kidding, and George, yelled, George. Hey, George! And let go with a sort of roundhouse right. Just kidding me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And George wheeled around real quick and caught it right in the jaw. Pow! <laughs> he caught it right in the jaw. And he was off balance. He must have been. And then he landed flat in a huckleberry bush. <laughs> It's all really. It was funny. It was funny. I think it's killing our whole lives. <laughs>
with only a cast of four people, you think it would be more of an ensemble piece. But really, a lot of it is from George's perspective. And also, I forget how little screen time Honey actually gets. <laughs> Which is weird, because she you also mean... got nominated for Academy Award for this. I, yeah, so Sally, Sandy Dennis, I think, is the weak point in the story. Because mm-hmm. it's not a very interesting character. She's a bit, she's a bit ditzy. She's uh, mousy and she's mousy, her, yeah, can't hold her she's, liquor, so she's yeah, like she's out the and drunkest, you. and she's really mo- like that drunkenness is really mostly played for laughs. Yeah, I think if I recall correctly, in the play, it's kind of played a little sadder, like kind of how drunk she is and kind of how lost and alone she is in all this. But yeah, um, here she's not well characterized, and I think her Oscar victory speaks more to the. Um, <laughs> to the status of supporting or the the number of supporting actress roles that we had. Mm, okay. <laughs> and how she, maybe she probably didn't have a, a lot of competition. It, oh, I mean, it reminded me of um Beatrice. You're playing against Elizabeth Taylor. You got to get some credit, That's true. Right? That's true. I will I will yeah. admit I did like her performance. There was something so like kind of earnest about it even though she is mm-hmm. like playing to the cheap seat sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so drunk, you know. I, yeah. There was something very earnest about it. But John, I don't you you spoke about perspective earlier, mm-hmm. and I don't want to play movie doctor this early. <laughs> you love playing movie doctor. Don't I do, lie. I do, I do, John. But I had a huge problem, and that's why don't we see this movie from Nick and Honey's perspective? It would be way more interesting. It, yeah, it really you really should because again, they're the outsiders. They're, they're the kind of audience surrogates. Yes, they're more relatable for one thing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They're more likable, I think. (laughs) Uh, The more we find out about them, the less likable they become. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, but you can also understand, like, motivation. Like, Nick Mm -hmm. has a clear motivation, and that is he wants to ingratiate himself with uh, Liz Taylor's character because she is the daughter of the dean of this university. President of the university. For you, whatever. Uh, whatever. <laughs> that and crusty so, like, dean. Yeah, and so we can understand his ambition, and maybe if they played, uh, maybe with the, his conflict, is like, oh, I got to sleep with this Martha character, mm-hmm. but I'm committed to my wife, uh, but she can she can be flighty and difficult. So, yeah, I think that was potentially that was potentially much more conflict there. Instead, we see <laughs> instead we're kind of centered around these two acidic people in George and Martha. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're right. And if they were really kind of more played towards the villains as opposed to, again, getting that opening scene. But again, that opening scene is important because we do kind of see that, you know, they obviously at one point had a kind of more loving relationship or at least a relationship that was probably based out of just convenience, but at least they could stand to be in the same room as each other. And I mean, there's also a great scene towards the end where they both kind of like team up on Nick. Which I thought was also yeah. kind of nice. <laughs> That's and again, true. Like, like Nick, yeah, Nick does, does deserve some comeuppance because he's not a he's not a a, <laughs> a wholesome character, really. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, exactly. But you're absolutely right. This is obviously based on a play, and the acting is very histrionic. Although Elizabeth Taylor kind of like goes back and forth. She kind of, in some scenes, she seems very naturalistic. You know, she's very well paced. Like everything's kind of like working, and then all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> But I guess that kind of works because one of the things I did appreciate is kind of the dynamics between Martha and George, where George is obviously, he's being played by a Brit. He has this kind of like... <laughs> Which I uh, didn't, I know, I'm reading the trivia, that bothered some audiences where Richard Burton couldn't even be bothered to hide his uh, English accent. <laughs> but I didn't yeah, mind but that. Yeah, but it kind of reminded me of like uh, Anthony Hopkins. Like you don't ask Anthony Hopkins to do an accent. Yeah, Come that's on. true, yeah. His voice is like velvet. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like the way the two characters speak. 
you know, George obviously gets off, like, you know, doing these, like, quick, dry witticisms. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, in contrast, Martha's like, oh, you old poop. (laughs) You know, she's, like, very loud, very brash, very uh, shrill, let's Mm -hmm. call it. Yeah. And again, like, has more fun, you know, doing lame accents and, you know, dumb words. Like, again, she's like a child. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's intoxicated most of the time, so that's true, yes. (laughs) And, And also, again... Lack of realism. <laughs> any amount, the amount of alcohol they all drink in this film would kill any normal human being. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, so I could buy like the way that the, the manner in which they speak. Mm-hmm. That's somewhat relatable. But yeah, like speaking of a lack of realism, where it really turned for me is they that we introduce this couple, bring them into their house, they share a drink. There's some like barbs back and forth, like things are a little awkward. Mm-hmm. And that is when George goes in back after his wife has insulted him. Mm-hmm. Takes out a gun, <laughs> points it at the back of his wife's, his dear wife's head, mm-hmm. and fires, and it's a prop gun, and everybody just laughs hysterically. <laughs> and I felt like, and I felt like, oh, wait, we're only in like act one, like already there's like no turning back. He just threatened to kill his <laughs> wife. <laughs> I mean, you can also read that as again, it's been a very tense night, and everyone's just trying to save face. I know, so no, could... but they've literally been there for fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That does kind of feel like more of a second act third act kind yeah, of yeah exactly action. yeah that should have yeah. yeah again we went from 0 to 60 at that point when really you know we should be slowly ramping up instead so also, again, what kind like... of prop gun is that it shoots an umbrella what I, yeah, why do they even know. have that are you supposed to carry it around like a like a marine or something under your arm and that way the <laughs> umbrella is over you? I don't know, who the hell knows uh, the 60s were a different time yeah <laughs> speaking of what i I do think in spite of it being this move being almost 50 years old at this point, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of kind of connection today because it's at one point it was going to be very self-referential. The first line is um, what a dump. And she asks what movies that, that it's from. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a Betty Davis movie. And they originally wanted to cast Betty Davis in this role Mm -hmm. and, you know, being like self-referential or like winking at the audience. That's not something that happened very often. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I give it kudos for that. And as you said, the, um, let's say, sexually explicit dialogue <laughs> was also unique and, you know, transgressive. So I'll, I'll, I'll give it credit for that. Yeah. And I had completely forgotten that Martha does take Nick to bed eventually. Mm-hmm. And that becomes like a really major turning point because now there's really no going back. She's literally cheated on George. Yeah. And George is now like full force. Like they even ha- they even share a moment before it happens. Like George and Martha are like total war. <laughs> you know, there's no pulling any punches now. <laughs> literally, because they punched each other at this point. Yeah. <laughs> they got into a boxing match. Yeah. John, before we get to that 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 war and this little game they're playing, we'll mm-hmm. explain the game. But yes, let's get inside Nick's head here. Okay. So he wants to establish this relationship with Martha mm-hmm. because she is a family with the, the president of the university and he can mm-hmm. work his way up. Why does he bring his wife along with him? I mean, to save face? I mean, I don't think he intended to sleep with her that night. Okay. Obviously, things get out of control. I mean, that might have been his intentions maybe in the future. But again, it seemed like it was kind of like this is the first night they'd met. They're brand new to town. Obviously, he has this scheme that he has. He's he's getting into the works of, but I don't think his intentions were things were going to escalate that quickly. All right. I mean, yeah. 
again, I'm just thinking like kind of logically, like how I would structure the story. Maybe like follow follow Nick and Honey. Nick really mm-hmm. wants to go out at two thirty a.m. Even the, and you know Honey's the one who's like, no, I don't want to. I want to stay in. But like, no, he's like, this will help my career. Let's go. And she's like, all right. And then you know she has a drink, and now she's being flighty. Now she's being completely different than she was earlier. Mm-hmm. And that would she fi- know, yeah she finally starts loosening up. Yeah. Whereas you know she comes in, she's very sociable. Mm-hmm. And it's like nowhere to nowhere to go. I think that's what I, that's my probably biggest problem is like it feels like a little dramatically inert because we we probably know at this point George and, and Martha aren't going to reconcile. <laughs> <laughs> and you know from here, uh, Nick and Honey can they can only get worse pretty much. They can only be well, no, and that's they, the they only have one way to go, and that's to be corrupted by this this old couple. No, and that's the point. Isn't yeah. that the whole dramatic arc of the story? Yeah, is that I this just... that this older couple, you know, takes this fine couple, I mean, kind of digs up some dirt on both of them. Nick's intentions become clear. The only reason he married Honey is because Honey comes from money. Yeah. So it's kind of like, again, like the whole point is that this older, horrible, acidic, sadistic couple has kind of <laughs> ruined another. What'd you say? I said you certainly are a flop in some regard. I'm sorry you're disappointed. Maybe sometime I've been dreaming in 10 hours. Baby, you sure are a flop. Boy, you're something, you know that? I mean, you're really something. Boy, you know, you, you, everybody's a flop. Your husband's a flop, I'm a flop. You're all flops. I am the Earth Mother, and you are all flops. I disgust me. You know, there's only been one man in my whole life who's ever made me happy. You know that? One. At the gym instructor or something? No, 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 no. George. My husband. You're kidding. Am I? <laughs> you must be. Him? Yeah. George. George. You don't believe it. Yeah. Well, it's re- it's really their game that they're playing. Mm-hmm. So let's let's dive into this game, John. Let's play this game. It's really more of a bit. <laughs> Um, yeah, I see if you're in your mid-50s and you're childless, or, or are you? <laughs> Get a little bored. And, well, that's know. for them to know and for us to find out. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, Martha makes a passing reference to their son. Yes, uh, to, to which point, like, we're, we're kind of, like, surprised, because they, it's not like they're old enough to have a son who's, like, off into college or out of the house somehow. No, and the other thing, too, is before they actually arrive, George warns him, like, don't start the bit about the son. Oh, I missed that line. I, obviously, I know which direction the story is going. For, so for me, I was like, that's a piece of foreshadowing that I yeah. completely missed <laughs> the first time watching it and slash reading it. So there's there's obviously obviously there's tons of tension between the couple, but it's implied that the son is a major part of that. And oh, throughout yeah. the night, they keep talking about their son, but they also can't seem to agree on anything about him. <laughs> like even, speaking of which, like uh, George implicates that he's not the father. Mm-hmm. Like Martha's exactly. been sleeping around, so like obviously, obviously, you can see a great source of tension between them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, like it also uh, that the implication is also like they can't even agree on his hair or eye color. 
Yeah. So again, like the whole point of genetics, it's like he's greenish eyes. No, they're blue, bluish yeah. greenish eyes. You know. Yeah. Also, Very... like where the where the heck is he? Like, you know, <laughs> did he run away from home? Is he with off with relatives? Is he in a loony bin? You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then there's also the fact that George kind of fancies himself a novelist. Is another kind of layer. He likes to mm-hmm. spin tales, yarns, and stories. And we kind of see that some of the stories and some of the plots of his novels have kind of either come from stories about the kid or they're bleeding in from the story, like from his life with the son. And also, like, that's how he gets uh, Nick and Honey. Um, he says, like, oh, here's the next plot of my next novel. It's exactly what you want to do with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, of course, they make passing references in the third act where Martha kind of complains that George can't tell the difference between real life and illusion. Yeah. So, And, it, of course, this eventually leads to a head and the big twist, which is the sun really doesn't exist. Yeah, this is a literal game that they're playing mm-hmm. to, I don't know, like, again, maintain this connection or illusion that they have with each other and get the go to this poor, <laughs> this poor young married couple. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, obviously the implication was they were never able to conceive. Mm-hmm. And that's a kind of reoccurring theme throughout the movie with both George and Nick is that they're both impotent men. And that, you know, they obviously struggle to get it up for their this wives. Is, this is true. Well, also mm-hmm. the women, like, uh, I think they also implicate that Honey um, honey had a miscarriage at one point. And so there's mm-hmm. questions of, like, her whether she could conceive as well. So exactly. obviously, I, uh, obviously it's kind of like equal <laughs> equal opportunity <laughs> offense there in terms of... <laughs> The, the, these divisions in their marriages. Yes, obviously, the things you don't talk about at dinner. Yeah. Um, and I, for me, and again, the interpretation I was always brought up was that this couple, again, their relationship is so caustic that they need to even come up with excuses to kind of bicker and fight with each other. Is that there's so much hatred between them that it's like their real situation isn't even enough anymore. They have to concoct a reason to hate each other even further. And again, that's part of the game. Yeah, I I I've interpreted it maybe a little more sentimentally and um mm-hmm. that's actually something I didn't don't like is when this twist is revealed suddenly it becomes very treacly and like <laughs> oh let's feel bad for George and Martha. <laughs> I'm like wait a minute, you've done nothing to earn this moment. <laughs> like they've been they've been acerbic a-holes this whole time. <laughs> don't don't expect me to feel sorry for them now, but mm-hmm. I think I think yeah, the popular interpretation is like okay, they can't conceive. Like let's create this illusion together in order to kind of, like, you know, maintain this connection that we have for each other when everything else in our lives are kind of pulling us apart, whether yeah. it be our, our substance abuse or our careers or mm-hmm. or even, like, our family history. Because, again, she comes from money. He It, it strongly implicates that he, you know, has a, comes from a broken family yeah. and has acted out when he was younger, so. And also, like, again, he can't really support himself either. Like, That's again, true, he's yeah. a writer who obviously has never published anything. Yeah, or like, a, yeah, he's like a history professor or something mm-hmm. and can't even get, like, there's more potential in Nick it being in the biology department, probably. Well, again, it goes back to that whole theme of impotence is like, what keeps him from publishing is the fact that the president of the university doesn't allow him to publish. Oh, yeah. You know, he needs to go through him. So he's not even like the head of his own household. <laughs> Well, no, obviously it's obviously it's Martha's father. Yes, Martha wears the wears yeah. the pants in the relationship. Yeah, he's such a flop. You're a flop. <laughs> well, it's a golden rule, John. Whoever has the, whoever has the gold makes the rules. <laughs> Damn, coded language there. He descri- She describes all these men as flops. Flops. Was flops. that yeah? Was that the lang- language that really um, tickled the censors, or it was one about <laughs> honking off? I think. <laughs> I mean, for the 60s, I mean, monocles must have been popping off left and right. I know, yeah. (laughs) 
this is the first movie that I was allowed to say bugger. Come on. I did. <laughs> but I mean, I can, I, I, watching it, I knew you wouldn't enjoy it that much. Because I, obviously, well, you hang don't. Hang on, John. Don't, don't, don't judge from afar. You what don't if, like movies that are histrionic. Be honest. I, well, not, not necessarily. I mean, maybe if it had a bit of a lighter touch. We should also explain production-wise, like, it's in black and white, heavy shadow. It's, like, almost like the end in this very kind of, like, a not ornate, but, like, yeah, filled with antiques, like, kind of busy production yeah, design. Yeah. Let's, so it's, let's call it's, it what it is. It's dilapidated. dilapidated. Like, their house yeah, is a it's, mess. It's a very oppressive atmosphere to reflect the um, repressive nature of <laughs> George and Martha. It's like their home is a reflection of their relationship. Exactly. I mean, and that's also kind of a funny bit at the beginning, too, is, like, Martha's trying to save face. She's trying to clean up, but she's doing, like, such a half-assed uh, yeah. job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just a burying thing. Again, subtle symbolism. You might have missed it. But just burying things under blankets, you know, not putting them away properly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very subtle. But, yeah, maybe if it employed maybe a lighter touch or, mm. again, like I said, like, ramped up instead of went to zero to 60 in the, in the first act and... <laughs> Yeah, you know, just a little, a little more touch of those characters, because again, you, as you said, we see it kind of exclusively from George's perspective, mm-hmm. and maybe if we characterize Nick a little bit more and exactly what he wants out of Martha and exactly what he wants out of his marriage with Honey, with to Honey, you know, maybe maybe there was more I could identify with. But from what it, from what it is, what I'm looking at here, it's it's again very sardonic, you know, very, <laughs> very kind of off-putting too. So I just couldn't get a, get into it from that perspective. I mean, you're absolutely right about the kind of ramping up because George, like Nick loses his temper quite quickly, which <laughs> I was kind of surprised by. I, the yeah. line is something like, again, like George is kind of toying with him, like just basically being a contrarian to whatever Nick says. Mm-hmm. And it's only like maybe five minutes in that Nick finally kind of gets fed up with him. It's like, what do you want me to say? It's funny so you can say it's sad or it's, I can say it's sad so you can say it's funny. Well, I mean, I, again, because he clearly knows what Nick Nick represents a threat to his marriage. <laughs> I guess that's whereas true, I yeah. whereas I didn't know that yet. <laughs> so maybe in the play it's explained better, but yeah, I was just I was just missing that here. I mean, again, I have more of a background in this, <laughs> and I think the other thing you too have is a history, I have, yes, and I also have more of an appreciation of camp than you do in this movie. It's very campy. <laughs> I wouldn't say very campy. I mean. There's still there's still many things to enjoy and still a lot you can take from it 50 years later. I mean the performances are always great. The performances oh, yeah. all hold up. I mean mm-hmm. maybe not so much honey, but any good good camera work um stuff like uh, speaking of the 60s there's a lot of things emblematic of the era like there's one scene we follow George back into the house and it's handheld from behind mm-hmm. him. That yeah. sets the template for every uh, modern European film. <laughs> Following <laughs> characters from behind handheld. <laughs> Well, one of the interesting things I found about the direction was occasionally the movie will kind of go out of focus, and I wasn't I wasn't sure if that was intentional, mm-hmm. or if that was like intentional and they were like trying to capture that feeling of being drunk, like you're kind of yeah. phasing it and out of reality. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe maybe it was unintentional. They decided to keep it in to add that layer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like stage again, technology. Yeah. Technology wasn't so reliable back in these no, days. No. Yeah. One of the other weird things about this movie, and again, I, I have to call it out because it doesn't actually, in the play, they don't actually leave the house. And I'd completely forgotten that they go to a saloon halfway through the movie. Well, that I actually enjoy, because like, I like <laughs> my films that have like, kind of a sense of scale and reality. Like, So in reality, yes, you would like kind of move somewhere else or put the camera somewhere else to kind of enlighten yeah, things up. It kind of ruined, like again, we talked about the set. And the fact that it takes place in this oppressive atmosphere. To have them leave and to go somewhere else, I feel like kind of ruins that illusion. 
Well, no. If anything, it gave it gave me some relief because we're it, the only other two characters in the movie <laughs> gonna come in. They barely say anything. They just they're just serving this these uh, these four um, college you know college professors who are just uh, drunk out of their minds. <laughs> Why did they even let them in? Obviously, they were closing down. I, I think yeah. that's what I think that's what bothers me. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> that no bar owner in their right mind would be like, "We're closing. Oh, why don't you come in for like three more drinks?" Yeah, <laughs> these weird old people. <laughs> Acting hysterically at this point, yeah, because again, they're all they're all cranked to eleven at this point. But yeah, and all driving drunk. Yeah, but again, I like uh, the character. I think he was played by a assistant cameraman or something. But he comes and in and le- serves him like, oh yeah. And I I felt like tethered to reality again. Like, yes, these people are we- weird. <laughs> you're 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 right, uh, Miss Waitress. Like, you should be giving them a side eye. <laughs> But I mean, obviously, this was directed by legendary filmmaker Mike Nichols, mm-hmm. who comes from a background of theater, and I think that's why he's so perfectly suited for this material. Yeah, it was his directorial debut. Mm-hmm. I mean, the blocking is fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. he, he does the push-ins and the close-ups right when they're needed. Yep. Cinematography by Haskell Wexler. The legendary Haskell Wexler is great. I mean, he's no Roger Deakins. I know. <laughs> or nobody, or, nobody is. <laughs> or the Deke to his friends. That's yes. what we call him. Yeah. Last night we called him up like, Deke, you finally won. <laughs> RD, baby. <laughs> Give him that D. Yeah. I was like, oh, you boys. <laughs> oh, you young whippersnappers. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go get wasted. I've got the coke. <laughs> no, he's a, he's a clean living man, I'm sure. <laughs> he is a, He is also English, if you can tell what, our, what we were doing with our voices there. <laughs> Well, we're gonna climb them well-worn stairs. Oh, no, George, no. Yes, baby. No, George, please. It'll all be done before you know it. No. No climb stairs with Georgie? No more games. It's games I don't want, George. No more games, please. Oh, sure you do. Original game girl and all. Of course you do. No, George, please. I don't... Don't you touch me. I'll keep your paws clean for the undergraduates. Listen to me, Martha. You've had yourself an evening. You've had yourself quite a night. You can't cut it out just whenever there's enough blood in your mouth. We're going on, and I'm going to have at you, and it's going to make your performance tonight look like an Easter pageant. I want you to get yourself a little alert. I want a little life in you. Stop that! Pull yourself together. I want you on your feet and slugging, because I'm going to knock you around, and I want you up for it. All right, George, what do you want? An equal battle, baby, that's all. You'll get it. I want you mad. I'm mad. Get madder. Don't worry about it. Good Girl, we'll play this one to the death. Yours. You'll be surprised. Yeah. Here come the little tots. You'll be ready for this. I'm ready for you. Here we are. Are you a bunny, honey? I'm a bunny, honey. Well, now, how's the bunny? Bunny funny. (laughs) Bunny funny. Good for bunny. Come on, George. Honey funny bunny. (laughs) All right. Here we go. Last game. All sit. (laughs) Sit down, Martha. This is a civilized game. Just get on with it. Now, I think we've been having a real good evening, all things considered. We've sat around, and we've got to know each other, and we've had fun and games. Uh, curl up on the floor, for example. The tiles. The tiles. Uh, snap the dragon. Peel the label. Peel the, peel the what? Label. Peel the label. Come, come on, g- give me more, all right? Because <laughs> if you didn't love this movie, I can't save you. I do. Uh, part of me just oh, wants what? to pack oh, it in and just I, like you said initially I wouldn't like this movie. Now you're demanding that I love it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't. I, just, I, I, I can't meet you halfway on this, Greg. Okay. I, 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 again, I'm sorry. You have a personal connection. I can't. I can't deny that. Mm-hmm. And but John, you also can't deny I'm meeting you. There are certain moments that work and mm-hmm. certain moments that don't. And so, 
<laughs> Overall, I must say, pretty uneven, if you ask me. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> but it's Mike Nichols. You have to love everything Mike Nichols does. I know. Have you seen The Graduate? Maybe that's one we have to... Oh, yeah, no. We can skip The Graduate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so suddenly he's not, now he's not beyond reproach. <laughs> I mean, he did Working Girl. Come on. <laughs> yeah, another classic. <laughs> we both liked Working Girl enough. I know, yeah, that's true. Again, another uh, lead actress who was <laughs> uh, intoxicated out of her mind as they were filming. <laughs> That's just called cinema verite, Greg. Yeah, okay. absolutely. <laughs> if there's two words I associate with working girl, it's cinema verite. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love this movie, mm-hmm. and I highly recommend it to everybody. Okay. I think it's a delight. <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy to if hear you're that in, if you're in the mood. Yeah. I, <laughs> don't watch it if you're married or. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a date night movie. Let's no, no, that. no. Uh, maybe yeah, maybe if you if you want a camp night or a, a Liz Taylor, you know, special, <laughs> it's probably more entertaining than Cleopatra. I'll give it that. <laughs> oh, it's a bold statement, Greg. I, <laughs> now we have to watch Cleopatra for next. Uh, week. No, it's not. It's it's as far as from a bold statement as you can get. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know how to continue from here. No. <laughs> I think we should just pack it in. Good night, everybody. <laughs> there's no there's no helping Greg. All right. No, John. Again, we spoke there's about some the movies that we we kind of can't meet on, and it's understandable. Yep, and it's cordial, but this time I just I can't accept it. It's not right. <laughs> it's not fair. I here, John, let it go. I've got an idea. Okay. We spoke about the Oscars earlier. Yes. And one of our all-time favorite movies won Best Picture only three years ago. Oh. What was that movie called, John? Birdman. <laughs> You're right. Three years ago, it was two years ago. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm like the I'm like Harry Crumper in that quiz show movie. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> When Greg doesn't have the answers, he just falls apart. <laughs> yeah. So oddly familiar. Anyway, no, John, of course I'm talking about Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Now, that that was a r- true picture winner. That was a true great picture winner. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they took down the movie house, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't make them like that anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Except for when they do, like the post. and <laughs> And they can't say that about the fish fucking movie because come I, on, it's literally a creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> hey, it's got a, a mute woman, mm-hmm. a, a overweight black woman. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Octavia Spencer, you're beautiful. Um, Octavia Spencer has lots of qualities. Okay. <laughs> yes, she is. She does. We love her to death. <laughs> so I'm just She's saying, the- person of color, dis- a disabled person. Um, Richard Jenkins apparently plays a gay person. If I had seen the movie, I could confirm that, but. <laughs> A fish person. All the races and minorities are represented. <laughs> yeah, and of course, the uh, the evil character, the villain of the of the story, is a straight white man. So there you go. Yeah, again, if there's one thing to take away from this year's Oscars, it's kill whitey. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Oscars so white. Hashtag yeah. kill whitey. <laughs> yeah. But John, what do you have for spotlight? <sighs> well. Last night at the Oscars, big momentous occasion, mm-hmm. the first African-American won for Best Original Screenplay. That was Jordan Peele. And in I've, anticipation, I've heard of him, yeah. Yes, have you heard of him? Yes, I have. You know, I, yes, he I did, he, he, a few years ago, he did a little sketch show. Mad which, TV. Yes, that too. <laughs> but I'm recommending today for Spotlight the sketch show Key and Peele. Because I've been watching it frequently on YouTube recently, and it's just an utter delight. Uh, yeah, if you want to talk about one of the best YouTube shows ever, <laughs> <laughs> or let's say let's say YouTubeable shows, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's like 
I don't, okay. <laughs> John, you're at cards a loss for words. <laughs> cards on the table. I'm white. Okay. I know. No, you're shocked. No. <laughs> I, and, I'm sure people couldn't, that didn't register in our voices at all. <laughs> Yo, Cracker, let me tell you. Um, I'm cutting that out. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> but, uh, like, when they first kind of started advertising the show, obviously it comes from the perspective of two kind of mixed race people. And yeah, that that I found interesting that they like kind of pushed that forward. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the show's perspective kind of comes from, and that's obviously something that's interested both uh, Keegan Michael Keel and Jordan Peele. Like mm-hmm. even when they did their movie together, Keanu, that was kind of the main thesis of the movie is the fact that they are not traditionally black, quote unquote, culturally, and they kind of have to f- make their way in this world. So it's kind of funny when the show kind of came out, it was like, oh, is this a successor to Chappelle's show? <laughs> and it's really a much different beast. And I do think trying to like maybe give it that label like as a quote-unquote black sketch show or something like that is doing yeah. it a disservice. And that's not to like take away credit of being a black show. If it comes from a black perspective, more power to it. That's great. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that kind of gives it enough credit for kind of how weird and idiosyncratic the humor could be like one of the my favorite my favorite sketch from the show is based around the pitch meeting for gremlins 2 <laughs> which again will only uh appeal to 40 year old white men who spend too much time on the internet today <laughs> but again it's like it's again it's technically a sketch that like any show could have done but the way I, they do it, is I just, don't think so. <laughs> it the, takes a very special show to say like this is making it to air. <laughs> exactly, because I mean, obviously, it's just like it starts off a very normal, you know, pitch meeting for a sequel. Mm-hmm. Everyone's wearing a Cosby sweater, so you know what era it's in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then Jordan Peele shows up as Magic Johns, Magic Jackson John, uh, Jr., who is a studio exec, who's you know. He's very effeminate, and he's dressed like the black guy from Mannequin 2. And he's like, hey, y'all. I've been hired by the studio to help consult on sequels. So when you're ready to drop a deuce, I'm just here to help. <laughs> and obviously, the, the pitch meeting starts off as very kind of flat. And he's just like, guys, what are you doing? We can literally do anything. I want everyone to go around the room and pitch their own gremlin. <laughs> and so everyone goes around the room pitching their own gremlin. And he's like insulting, but also praising it at the same time. It's like, how about a, a lady gremlin? Oh, you mean like a lady gremlin who's got like big boobs for a gremlin and wears high heels and big lifts and it's just a fat. It's in the movie. Print, done. Okay, what's who's next? A uh, 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 spider gremlin. You just an idiot, aren't you? You just like free associating. You just like put two words together. Well, from that idiot brain of yours where there's clearly no brain, the genius just popped out. Cut, print, it's in the movie. Who's next? <laughs> It's a shame they didn't go further with this concept. <laughs> well, and of course, like the because the yeah, they could have done like the Matrix sequels. It, it could have it could have worked wonders, John wonders. <laughs> and of course, it obviously ends with Keegan saying like the like obviously like distraught. Like there's no way any of that's making it to the movie. Yeah. Smash cut to title card. All of that is in Kremlin's yeah. too. <laughs> yep. And of course, there's the sketches everyone remembers, like the uh, college football name, the, the draft. draft. Yeah. <laughs> again, yeah. Like again, there's something like identifiable there. Like it. It's speaking of it being a successor to Chappelle's show. Yes, there's a racial draft in that show, but like again, race was kind of the center around the around which everything else like kind of orbited in Chappelle's mm-hmm. show. 
Yeah. With with Key and Peele, it was much more silliness. <laughs> exactly. Like, they yeah. could kind of dive into more absurdism. Then they'll do, like, one that's just, like, a straight-up spoof of, like, the Twilight Zone, where, you know, Keegan-Michael Key is playing, like, a Indian doctor, and Jordan Peele's playing, like, a weirdo kid with a bowl cut and psychic powers. <laughs> like, it's very strange. It's just so weird. Yeah. Just, like, the imagination and absurdity they could bring things to. Yeah. Obviously, you know, that's pitch perfect for me. So that's <laughs> highly recommended for John Mantell. And nobody else. Yeah. Same with who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. <laughs> yep, there you go. <laughs> but very, my opinion is always right. Yep. And that's what the show is for. Yeah. It's funny you said the Twilight Zone, because that obviously echoed into Get Out, which has a very kind of Twilight Zone premise to it. Mm-hmm. And I think he's actually, he's he's producing some kind of like reboot for CBS or something like that. They're going to revive I mean, it for their streaming service. Well, yeah, seeing I know Black Mirror got a new season. And so there's a, there's obviously an appetite for that. There's a hunger for it. Yes. <laughs> Amazon's like, quick, adapt some Philip K. Dick thing. Let's go. They <laughs> need an anthology series. <laughs> after, What's the next after Game of Thrones? Game, after our Game of Thrones <laughs> thing failed. <laughs> we need the next Game happen? of Thrones here, people. Come on. <laughs> we need something to replace Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> no one was saying we need to replace Zoo. <laughs> oh, the AV Club was. They couldn't get enough. <laughs> Words cannot express how dumb Zoo was. <laughs> exactly. It was, and for the benefit of the American public. <laughs> I will. I will summarize Zoo in f- five words: ice lizards and earthquake sloths. Okay, that's yes! how dumb Zoo got. <laughs> <laughs> More TV shows should have ice sloths in them. <laughs> no, Greg. Earthquake sloths. They're sloths. Earthquake. My, I apologize. I apologize. That cause earthquakes. <laughs> yeah. Again, I like the idea of the show. I never actually sat down and devoted the time to watching it, so <laughs> oh, it I is, think it's the greatest show of all time. It is unimaginably dumb. <laughs> yes. Awesome. At one point, one character gets brainwashed and turns into a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation. It's it's it's, it's unfathomably dumb. Awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what do you have for Spotlight, Greg? Uh, i got to bring the tone down, John. <sighs> Why did you make me go first? I, we, should, I, we should end on a high note. Uh, well, because you had an Oscars connection, and I sort of have an Oscars connection. The film that I want to recommend did win the foreign language film Oscar, because mm-hmm. uh, it's set around World War II, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. So uh, I've wanted to see this movie for a long time, and it actually became available on Filmstruck, the venerable Filmstruck streaming service. Um, which is now adding a lot more movies um, now that it has uh, access to the Warner Archive. So check it out. Filmstruck is not sponsored by Filmstruck. But the, come on, Filmstruck, if you need a new podcast, I mean, you know. Come on, let's let's wet these beaks. Yeah. <laughs> but in any event, the movie is called Come and See, um, which if uh, for any astute listeners out there, is an allusion to Revelation. And so <laughs> that's the kind of tone we're working for. Apocalyptic. Hooray. <laughs> Set in World War Two, but the world didn't end in World War Two, Greg. Come on. Uh, for some some Belarusian villages, it did because oh. this story centers around a, a young man who wants to join the. Um, this is set in modern day Belarus, um, and he's joining the uh, Soviet resistance, the Nazis, and so we kind of follow him in in a, a very hard journey uh, mm. through the war and the Nazi occupation of this land, mm. and so. Um, you know, it starts off like optimistically enough. You know, he leaves his farm village. He he retrieves a gun, so now he's like can officially join. He has all the equipment and the kit to actually join this little resistance. You have to bring force. your own gun to a resistance. Come on, <laughs> they should provide that. I do. Well, exactly, John. They they took a cue from America. You know, just <laughs> uh, get your own way into the gun. You know, we'll, we'll make it as easy for you as possible. <laughs> 
topical. Done. Check. <laughs> <laughs> However, he's dismissed as being, you know, just a little too a little too green um, to join the front, to join the fight. Um, <laughs> thankfully, he's, he survives that happenstance because this, uh, this resistance force just gets immediately run over by the Nazis. And so hmm. um, the story just gets um, sadly darker and sadder from there. The uh, lead character, I can't remember his name. I mean, he's a he's an accomplished actor now, but and done a lot of notable work since then. Um, but yeah, he's he was only like 15 at the time of filming, and he ate, it looks like he ages like at least 30 years during the course of this film, <laughs> um, with all the struggles that he goes through, and um, it ends in a, a kind of like fantastical sequence involving a lot of archival footage um, of the time, and that that's something that I I didn't like in in terms of the filmmaker's intention. I think you what you had here was a very strong anti-war message and instead what we wind up is like it seems very specifically to all the atrocities committed by the nazis at this time in this region mm-hmm. instead i wanted it to be a little bit more uh speak more broadly to kind of an anti-war message um and it could have been very powerful in that yeah you're right because of, saying nazis are bad is not enough for greg Mantel. <laughs> clearly well, d- d- well yeah i went into the movie knowing that <laughs> <laughs> but i didn't know that war was bad you know <laughs> Obviously, some wars are justified, like Iraq, like raging success. <laughs> and some wars aren't obviously invo- like yeah. worth it, like Syria. Who cares? Gosh, yeah. we've already been there. Yeah, um, but just some stunning filmmaking. I, I think my favorite scene is when he's uh, when he's rejected this first time, saying like, you know, you know, you're not joining us in this resistance fight. And he and he actually goes off and cries. Um, mm. And that's when he's joined by... Well, obviously, um, he can't be part of the war if he's going to cry like a fucking bitch. <laughs> John, it's a powerful scene that it's it's beautifully shot, too. I guess I should say, give a credit to the cinematography. It's it's absolutely, in spite of um, the really dark subject matter, um, there's some arresting images in there. So, hmm. again, kudos, kudos on that front as well. But um, he actually has this little connection, this little romantic connection with the um, with the daughter of the resistance leader. Hmm. Um, who's also kind of like cast aside and doesn't doesn't have a, a high standing in this small militia that they've assembled. So um, that that kind of you know this this uh, this moment of sunshine between them um, before it goes horribly wrong, horribly fast. Um, actually, I should say horribly slow. It's a slow boil. I guess that's the other. If we're going to make a contrast to uh, to who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, it does uh, kind oh, of... Oh, like, oh, okay, so there's some differences. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying that. <laughs> I'm just, say, I'm just saying in, in the tone and the way, the way in which the story progresses. Um. You're telling me <laughs> a foreign movie about World War II doesn't have a lot of overlap with a 1960s black and white film based on I was like. making a connection. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's one-to-one. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just making a connection between what I liked about Come and See versus what I did not about Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Well, no, like, obviously I knew you were going to love this movie and you were going to hate, you know, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. This is who you are. You like boring foreign movies that are miserable. It's not, it's not And boring. I like fun black and white campy movies that end tragically. Right. <laughs> If anything, I mean, I told you that sequence, it's, it's at least a little affirmative in that way. I mean, the <laughs> uh, actually, I won't spoil exactly what happens, but, you know, this, uh, I, our lead character doesn't die, I will say that. <laughs> okay. So, I'm thankful. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> obviously, obviously he's, he's, he's shaken, though. <laughs> <laughs> this movie accomplishes what I think it sets out to do, and that's put its uh, protagonist, and therefore us, uh, through a blender. And so... <laughs> No matter how we come out, it's it's very effective in that in that goal. So, all right, 
Yeah. Again, I I strongly recommend it if you're a damaged person like me who actually seeks out films like this. <laughs> <laughs> so please come and see. Come I and look see. forward to never seeing. And it. I came and I saw, <laughs> and hell followed with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh yeah, I, I, I do this podcast as a charity guys okay <laughs> look at what I have to put up with it's oh, a charity oh thank you for sharing who's afraid of Virginia Woolf with me I'm so grateful it is uh, excuse me <laughs> it is on the AFI it is on 1001 movie see where you die I don't even remember the title of the movie you were just talking about so <laughs> good I, sir okay I talked about gremlins too okay that's an American movie classic <laughs> no you didn't you talked about Keith Peel <laughs> whatever turn your brain on <laughs> again John I don't want to wind up like George and Martha come on let's get back to let's get back to the good side of us no oh, you're such a flop you're a flop <laughs> hey hey I didn't want to talk about that on the <laughs> <laughs> I told you that in confidence <laughs> Hey, social media. We're on hey. all the channels. <laughs> Hopefully you got to see us live tweet the Oscars last night on our Twitter page, at Aspiring yes. Snobs. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't so inclined, you can also like our page on Facebook, the Aspiring Snobs podcast Facebook page. Yeah. And we're on all the podcast platforms, notably mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to go there, if you like... if if you like the show, go there, hit that subscribe button, hit that rate button. You'll see between one and five stars. We prefer mm-hmm. the five stars. Um, however, Please. if you feel like honest, if you feel like it's a four-star show, that's fine, too. It's just, you know. And if you put three stars, come on. What's your problem? All right? F- oh, Commit. No. Yeah. Like, oh, it's not pleasing anybody like the Oscars again. <laughs> <laughs> Middle of the road. Pick a side. We're at war. I know. We're at war. <laughs> <laughs> to war, George. Um <laughs> Now that's out of the way, Greg. What are we watching next week? John, that's a great question. It's Hoop Dreams. It is Hoop Dreams, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, John, in honor of March Madness. Yes. We're watching a movie centered on basketball. Particularly, maybe one of the greatest basketball movies ever ever committed to cinema. And it's not... And it's actually a documentary. John, I'm just going to put this t- t- just between us. I, it's a I, documentary. I, and it's called Hoop Dreams. I, I thought we were watching Hoosiers. Um... You know, I feel like Hoop Dream in terms if John if we're aspiring to snobdom. Oh, okay. Yeah, I feel like Hoop Dreams is the probably the finer choice. Oh, but Greg, we're also men of the people, okay? I, we gotta I we gotta we gotta give the proletariat some bones. We have to throw them some breadcrumbs. Like, yes, have your circuses. Good job. I do. <laughs> so we'll go with the obvious conventional choice, huh? Ugh, yeah. John, is that what we're about? <laughs> are we about success? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> no. If current trends are any indication, then no, we're not. Yeah. We'll get there one day, John. Yes. It is our Hoop Dreams episode will we'll turn it around. This, we have Hoop Dreams, okay? <laughs> we're going to be scoring slam dunks down the court as we dribble with a double-double. I'm. I'm. It's. I'm. Sadly John, you're on You can do it. <laughs> I'm sadly using up all my all my basketball terminology before we even done the episode. Yes, thank <laughs> you, John. You didn't say sports ball, which I appreciate. No more. No more sports ball. I, it, I'm done with it. <laughs> Touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You had it. You had it there. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you everybody for listening, and until next time, keep aspiring.